Well, hey, so good to be together. I'm glad that we're able to uh, be together for church today. If you're new with us, my name is John. I'm lead pastor. And whether you're here in person or here online, we're one body. And we're one church experiencing the presence of God together. And if you are new with us, we're about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. And thanks for being part of that. And I also want to particularly just say thanks to you for being an incredible and faithful church body. It takes a lot to just keep on uh, rolling with things as it changes up and as week by week we try to figure this season out together. And I know that it's called for a lot of long suffering and a lot of solidarity choices, but I thank you for being the kind of church that would stick together and stay strong together even when uh, we're facing a time that's been difficult for all of us. I'm so glad that we're together. You're amazing, church. Just wanted to say God bless you. You're awesome. That's right. That's right. Hey, so um, summer is great for road trips. We did a little road trip earlier this summer. We went out to uh, the Phoenix area, and we were driving out uh, to Arizona. And, uh, you know, when you drive in Arizona, there's lots of stretches of open country. And I don't know if you knew this, but if you drive on the 93 up towards Flagstaff, uh, you will pass through a very small town. It is the town of nothing, Arizona. Nothing. That's right, nothing, but don't blink because you will miss it if you blink. It's like all that there is is there's a, a dilapidated old store there called the All Mart. I mean, the town is so small they couldn't even afford the W, so it's just it's the All Mart. That's how it is. Thank you. You're welcome. I'll be here all night, folks. I'll be all... <laughs> and the only thing that ever happened there is that a guy sold rocks off the back of his flatbed truck. That's about the only thing that ever happened in the town of nothing. But the there's a sign right in the middle of town, and the sign uh, in the middle of the town says this, the staunch citizens of nothing are full of hope and full of faith and believe in a work ethic. <laughs> Through the years, these dedicated people had faith in nothing and hoped for nothing and worked at nothing for nothing. <laughs> it's like, wow, that's quite the vision statement there. <laughs> but you know what? I, I wonder if maybe for, for some of us, we, we might have gotten caught up in in living our lives as though nothing matters. You know, and, and maybe in 2020, the things that have been happening this year have maybe jarred us to reconsider whether that's the right way to live or not. And maybe we find ourselves wondering if maybe there's more that does matter. And I'm here to tell you that you are made for a lot more than living for nothing. In fact, you are made for living with the glory of God, with the power of God, with the love of God flowing through you. You are made for being somebody in whom the power of God resides so that the touch of God can come to this world. You are here for something of the glory of God to be showing up in your life and then through your life, wherever you work, wherever you play, wherever you live, wherever you are. You are on assignment from your heavenly father, and it's as though he sent you into this world and said, Tag, you're it. Go get him, daughter. Go get him, son. Like, this is the glory of God, that he looks at you and me, and he sees capacity. He sees potential. He sees possibilities. He sees the goodness that can flow through people like you and me that would just yield ourselves to him. And he looks at you and me and says, I've made you for something glorious. Don't ever forget it. And this is what I wanted to talk about in this message today, that you have been invited by God to be a partner with him for the kingdom ministry that he calls his mission. So I want you to just touch somebody nearby you with a six-foot social distance touch and tell them, tag, you're it. Just do it. 
Unless they're your family. Then go ahead and hug them all you want. Tag, you're it. My message today in a nutshell is just simply this, is that Jesus has a call on your life. And it's an invitation for you to be salt in a world that's spoiling and to be light in a world that's losing it. That's my message. You can just try to remember it, write it down if you're taking notes. Be salt in a world that's spoiling and be light in a world that's losing it. It matters. Now, I want us to spend some time in the scriptures today, so I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 5 and open up your Bible. If you're at home, go ahead and reach over to your coffee table and get the Bible. And if you're with me on the patio, then open up the Bible and don't let the wind blow the pages too much. But you're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, this is Jesus, uh, and he's bringing a message that is called by many the Sermon on the Mount, mostly just because he's preaching from a mountainside. And uh, it's one of these messages that's so full and so rich that you got to just kind of take it almost a sentence at a time. So we're just going to take a look at, at four verses from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 5. And so t- if you turn there with me now, we'll get into God's word together. So this is what God's word says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is Jesus saying, I want to tell you about you. And he's got two things in this particular part of scripture, two things that he says about you. And he's talking to a group of people on a hillside, and there's probably thousands gathered. And we're talking about people who are carpenters, people who are builders, people who are farmers, people who are bakers, people who might be some soldiers, people who might be uh, in the military, people who might be fishermen. I mean, just all kinds of regular people. And Jesus loves just talking to regular people and saying, let me tell you how amazing you are if you would put your trust in me and live for my glory. Let me tell you what is possible if you would yield your life to me. Let me tell you what I see in you. Because what I see in you is something immensely valuable and immensely powerful. And so I want us to just hear Jesus again. But uh, Verse 13, he said... And maybe you would uh, read it with me if you can see the screen, or at least say it, mumble it, the few words that you might remember from memory if you can. Verse 13, ready? You are the salt of the earth. Just say that part again. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the salt of the earth. Just say that together again. You are the salt of the earth. Now personalize it for a moment and say, I am the salt of the earth. Come on, like you mean it, people, say it again. I am the salt of the earth because Jesus said so. Not because I'm thinking of myself in some certain kind of way, but because Jesus said that about me. I'm the salt of the earth. But let's make sure we understand something. Salt is powerful, 
It really is. I remember when I was 18 years old, I lived in Switzerland with a, a family, a, a Swiss family who lived up in the Swiss Alps. And uh, this family had lived up in the Swiss Alps for centuries. And the Riva family, I had the privilege of, of living with them. And uh, they were old school. And they did things in the old country kinds of ways. Uh, they, they had a meat cellar in their house. And I never even knew such a thing existed, but they had a meat cellar. And the grandmother of the family would take beef and soak it in this salty solution and then put it out in the sun for a while to dry and then put it back in the salty solution and soak it more and then just hang it from uh, the rafters in this little uh, uh, meat cellar in, in the basement of their house. And she was making something called viande sachet, which is this Swiss, I mean, long before there was biltong, right, there was viande sachet. And it's this, this meat that uh, is so delicious, she would hang it from the, the, from the rafters for several months. And in some cases, some of those pieces of viande sachet had been hanging there for several years. And when I was going to head out into the mountains for a day of skiing or something in the Swiss Alps, she would just cut off a hunk of that viande sachet and say, this is your lunch. Actually, she said, like, c'est ton déjeuner or something like that because she spoke in French. But it's just a lot more fun to just say, this is your lunch, right? It's fun. Anyway, she, uh, she would give me this hunk of this, this dried beef, this viande sachet, and I'd just carry it in my pocket and eat it when I was on the ski lifts or whatever. That was lunch. That was it. There was no nitrites, no phosphates, no slurry of chemicals, nothing but salt to make that thing cured. I mean, coming from like a typical 7-Eleven beef jerky with 50,000 chemicals in it, kind of an upbringing, that was pretty amazing to just see this raw, uncooked meat just hanging in a basement and this lady cutting some off and just saying, here's lunch, you know? But it, it, it was eye-opening to me to realize, man, salt can do that. But salt is powerful. And when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, it is a powerful metaphor. It's, it's not, uh, we think of salt as something just so common. But for the people listening to Jesus, it wasn't that it was so common. It was that it was so useful, so powerful, so absolutely essential to use the word. This is what you need to know. Jesus looks at you and says, you're essential, church. I don't care what anybody else says. You're essential, church. And this is, uh, this is the metaphor Jesus chooses to use. Jesus is, in a sense, saying, look, because of your faith in me, because you have put your trust in me, because you have given your life to me, and because I live in you, you are more powerful than you even know. You're more necessary in this world than you sometimes even give any credit for. You're more important on this earth than you can imagine because I'm in you, living through you, bringing my goodness into this world through your life laid down before me. You are essential. Salt is so powerful and so necessary. Think about what salt does. Salt purifies. Salt preserves. Salt brings flavor. Salt helps uh, to uh, melt ice. Salt helps water to be retained. Salt changes the density of water. Salt conveys value. I mean, think about it. Salt conveys value. Did you know that throughout history, all over the world, all over the planet, salt has been used as money, more or less. 
because it conveys value. I mean, even to this day, a lot of us would talk about, uh, I hope I can earn a salary. And even that word salary comes from the Latin salarium because it's a throwback to the days when people's worth and merit and ability was measured out in salt. I mean, and so, so for Jesus to say, you're the salt of the earth, it's like this immense description of value. I hope you can hear this, whoever you are. And listen, Jesus, in this moment, he's talking to a group of people on a hillside that were just beginning to get to know him. They had not done anything spiritually impressive yet. They hadn't uh, prayed long King James-sounding prayers yet. They hadn't even come to an understanding of the cross yet. And nevertheless, Jesus looks at him and says, yeah, but I want, you to, I want you to know how I see you. I see you as immensely valuable. You are the salt of the earth. You're, you're, that, you're that important to me. But he said, but listen, but if salt loses its saltiness, that's bad. I mean, he said, it's, it's, that's terrible. You'd have to just throw it out. And so Jesus follows up his statement by, of saying, you are the salt of the earth by also cautioning in a sense. I saying, don't let yourself become unsalty. And I want us to think together about what that means. Like, what does it mean to not be salty anymore? And I, and I thought about, about this a little bit this week, and I, I'm identifying nine ways we can lose our saltiness. And I just kind of want to run through these briefly. Nine ways you can lose your saltiness if you're not watching uh, first of all, half-hearted religiosity. Like if you just decide, you know what, this whole church thing, I'm just going to mail it in. I'll just watch an online thing like once every six weeks and maybe tip the big guy a 10 spot every couple months and call it good. I mean, come on. We're, that, that is a, a, a fast track to losing your saltiness. That, that half-hearted religiosity where you really don't care much about God. You're just glad, I'm going to go to heaven one day when I die. That's all I, I don't even really care about the rest of it. That half-hearted religiosity is a sham and it won't carry you with the strength and power that you're made for in this world and it won't be something that will bring God glory in the end. That will cause unsaltiness. That will cause you to lose your saltiness. And secret unconfessed sin. That will make you lose your saltiness. Because when you're secretly living in habitual sin again and again, it causes you to feel like you don't want to be too close to God because you feel a little bit ashamed and you start backing away from God and all of a sudden the saltiness is just gone. And a secret, unconfessed sin will take away your saltiness. And number three, a way to lose your saltiness is idolatry. I'm just putting something else in the first place above the Lord your God, giving something else the highest and first place instead of God who you know to be your king. If something else is first, if your career is first or how much more you can put into an account is first or any other thing, it's going to cause your saltiness to be diluted. And Jesus says, don't let that happen. Uh, Number four, a way to lose your saltiness is materialism. Just making your life all about how much more can I get and how many more things can I store up for myself, that will cause your saltiness to be lost. Number five, something to cause you to lose your saltiness will be cynicism. If you allow your heart to become cynical about people who bear the name of Jesus, if you allow your heart to become cynical about the church of the living God in Christ, if you allow your heart to become cynical about the word of God, it will erode your faith. It will cause your saltiness to dissipate. 
and number, number six, something to cause you to lose your saltiness would be isolation from other believers. If you decide, I don't want to get together with that small group anymore. I mean, I, that one guy was whack anyway. Let me just forget about all that. I don't need him. I'll go hang out with my old friends. <laughs> Watch out. Your saltiness is gone, right? I mean, it just happens too quickly. Isolation from other believers will lead to your saltiness being diminished. Number seven, spiritual apathy will erode your saltiness. Spiritual apathy. I don't need to spend time reading the Bible. I mean, prayer, come on. He already knows my thoughts. I don't need to bother talking to God. That kind of spiritual apathy will cause you to have a, an utter and complete lack of spiritual saltiness in your life. And uh, number eight, no word of God in you. If you're never taking in the scriptures and meditating on dwelling on the things that God says in his word, if you have no word of God in you, it will erode your saltiness. And finally, and maybe the most important, what will destroy your saltiness is a lack of love. A lack of love. And Jesus did prophesy that in the end, the love of many would grow cold. He said it. I'm watching out for it. In fact, I feel like I'm seeing it begin to happen. And I'm saying, God, please don't. Don't let it happen. I'm praying for us that our love would abound more and more. Philippians 1.9, our love would abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness until the day of Christ Jesus. This is what we need. We need to realize who we really are, the salt of the earth. So be the, be the one who stays salty. Be the one who, like salt, brings out the flavor of goodness that's possible. Be the one who, like salt, melts the ice, melts the ice of unkindness and bitterness and outrage and division. You be the one who, like salt, melts that ice of hatred. Come on, be the, be the salt. Be like salt. You know how salt conveys value? Be like salt in that way. One who conveys value to other people rather than taking it from them. Don't you see it happening? In the world around us, don't we see it happening left and right? People just cutting each other down, speaking illness and, and deceit about each other and insult against one another. And I think Jesus is looking at you and me and saying, I don't want the world to be like that. And you're part of how it's going to change. You're part of how it's not going to be that way. You be the salt because it's who you are. Come on, say it. You're the salt of the earth. Now personalize it again and say it. I'm the salt of the earth. Come on, everybody at home, say it too. I'm the salt of the earth. This is the word of God to somebody today. Jesus is looking at you and seeing the tremendous potential that is there because of who you can be in Christ. It's not just a, a sense of, of empty positivity thinking. It's realizing that if you put your faith in Jesus, he makes you a new creation. And he allows you to be born again, regenerated in such measure that he lives in you. How could you not be powerful? How could there not be great capacity for you to bring glory to the living God? This is who you're made to be, the salt of the earth. So let's be it. Let's be the salt that he's called us to be. I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 14, and, uh, or, <laughs> Matthew 5, 14. Jesus says, I'm not done yet. You're the salt of the earth, but you are also the light of the world. He says it. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither did people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. That's a high calling. You know, a, a few weeks ago, we had a team meeting, uh, and uh, we had a group of our pastors and leaders sitting together, and we were talking about what we were going to be doing in August and the different plans that we had, things like CP recess and the CP kids camp and the revive nights for youth and the, this family splash day on Labor Day, like just all these different things, and this new series, you know, Tag You're It, that we were going to be doing, things like that. Anyway, after a bit, there was a little bit of like just conversation and discussion, and, and, and then uh, a few people started saying like, oh, yeah, uh, Tag... Ted Garrett's really going to you know, change the culture of our church. Ted Garrett's going to really help reset the culture of discipleship in our church. Ted Garrett's going to really uh, help people catch a vision for what God has for their life. And Ted Garrett's going to be so helpful uh, in the month of August. And I had to stop people. And I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Who in the world is Ted Garrett? Because, I mean, if he's going to be doing all this stuff and helping so much, I probably ought to know him. Who's Ted Garrett? And they were looking at me like, and, and, and apparently they were talking about tag your it. But the problem is we were sitting here, right, and, and the doors were rolled up, and it was noisy, and I could hardly hear, and I might have a little bit of hearing loss too. And so uh, anyway, I was thinking about calling this series tag, uh, Ted Garrett just for, just for kicks. <laughs> anyway, Jesus in a sense says, you're Ted Garrett. That's who you are. You are the light of the world, the light of the world, the light of the world. You're the light of the world. I want you to look at somebody near you. Uh, or if you're alone in your house, bust out your phone and switch it to camera and turn it to selfie mode and look at yourself and say to somebody right now, you are the light of the world. <laughs> it almost feels weird to say it, doesn't it? I think we're probably, <laughs> somebody's like, no, no, I just want to tell somebody their new name, Ted Garrett. <laughs> It'll be an inside joke from now on. You're the light of the world. I think probably a lot of us are pretty comfortable acknowledging Jesus as the light of the world. Because that makes sense. I mean, Jesus, the perfect, sinless son of God. It makes sense to say he's the light of the world. But me and you, oh, I don't know if that really applies. <laughs> but Jesus says it does. Jesus looks at you and me, and, and, and if we come to him with a heart to repent of our sin and put our trust in him, Jesus says, I, I have a new life for you, and you really are a new creation. And because I am living in you, my radiance can come through your life and shine into this world in such measure that it's totally appropriate for me, the son of God, to say about you, you're the light of the world. Can't you hear it? It's like Jesus is saying, tag, you're it. Like this world needs some people that would be willing to shine for Jesus. And that is exactly what he is saying that we should do. Matthew 5.14, I want you to say it with me out loud if you can. Say it. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. See, Jesus looks at you and me and, and recognizes that we are like we would sometimes say we are sinners who need a savior. And Jesus says, and I will step up and do the saving. And so Jesus, in a sense, says to you and me, okay, sinner, I'm taking your sin from you. 
and I'm taking it to the cross, and I'm paying the full price for it so that you never have to, and you never could anyway. And from this moment on, that's not your name anymore. Don't be hanging your head and saying, oh, I'm nothing but a sinner, because that's a lie. Jesus, his word matters. And when he says you're the light of the world, it overrides your previous identity as a sinner. You, you no longer... You no longer are to identify yourself that way. No, let me be very clear about this. Of course you still have the capacity to screw up and sin. Of course. But it's not your identity anymore. Here's, here's why this is important. Because if we rest in an identity that isn't accurate in terms of the words of Jesus... We'll give ourselves license to just keep on doing things according to that identity. And I think Jesus is saying, yeah, I've actually paid a very great price so that you don't have to be known by that identity anymore. So would you step into who I've made you to be? A new creation? A shiner. That's who you are. He's taken your identity as a sinner and said, I've paid the price for that sin. Believe me for that. And now receive what I say about you. you. You are a shiner. You are one who is intended to shine the glory and love and power of God into this world. And don't you know this world needs it? Don't you know this world needs a whole bunch of us who follow Jesus to stand up and shine some of his goodness, shine some of his love, shine some of his breakthrough power, shine some of the truth of the gospel, shine some of the freedom that brings life to people. You and I need to be the ones he's called us to be. Ephesians 5, listen to what it says. Because if you were stumbling a little bit over what I just said, I want to make sure you hear from another place in Scripture where this very thought is uh, substantiated. It says in Ephesians 5, 8 and 9, it says, You were once darkness, but now you're still darkness because you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Sorry. That is not what it says. It says, You were once darkness, but now you are are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, let's make sure we're identifying this accurately, right? It says, you are light in the Lord. Now live like it. Did you hear that? <laughs> let's not get our wires crossed. It's not that, that Jesus says you're the light of the world, therefore just go do whatever you want. No, 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 no. You're the light of the world, so, so live like it. Live it out. Shine it brightly. You are no longer darkness. You put your faith in Jesus, then that's not who you are anymore. You are light in the Lord. But live as children of the light. And that means different kinds of choices. Different kinds of choices in where you go. Different kinds of choices in what you do with your time. Different kinds of choices in the types of things you say. Different kinds of choices in the kinds of posts you make online, different kinds of choices in what you put into your body, different kinds of choices in what you do with your body with other people, different kinds of choices in every aspect of life. But this is what we're able to do. We're able and empowered by Jesus to make those choices, to live as children of the light with the fruit of the light, which is goodness, righteousness, and truth. You know, darkness, darkness is awful. 
I remember a, a trip I took when I was younger to a place in Virginia called Shenandoah Caverns. And it's like a lot of cave places around the country where you can go on a tour with a group. And I went down into the, uh, the Shenandoah Caverns uh, with a group of, I don't know, 15 or 20 people. And after getting down to the deepest part of the cave, something like a mile in, uh, the tour guide said, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn off the lights, so I want you to take a good look around and hold tightly to the railings. And then she turned the lights off, and it was utter and complete darkness, pitch dark. And it was weird. At first, I'm, I'm waiting in that moment for my eyes to adjust. You know how our eyes adjust to the dark? But that adjusting to the dark only happens when there is actually some light around but when you're in the absolute pitch dark of a cave where there is no ambient light whatsoever, it's complete darkness. You could hold your hand up in front of your face for five minutes, you wouldn't see a thing. And for about uh, 30 seconds, this went on. And the first, uh, you know, 15, 20 seconds, it was just kind of ha-ha, funny, interesting. But at about the 30-second mark, I could feel my heart beginning to race. I felt a sense of confusion. I felt a strong sense of disorientation. I felt uh, concern and worry. I felt something like anxiety and panic just begin to crop up in me. And I think this tour guide had done this a time or two before because right at the 59-second mark, click, she turned the lights back on because she knew people can't handle this. this. This kind of darkness will mess with your mind. But you know what? The darkness in the world that we are living in will mess with people's minds. And God's plan is for his goodness and power and love and light to shine brightly. And his power is for you to reflect. His light is meant to be reflected by you shining it. You are the light of the world. Jesus said so. The spirit of God in Ephesians 5 confirmed it. And this is who you're meant to be, one who would shine that light of God. You know, light has a great value and power to it. Light can be used in UV rays to bring total purification. Light can be used in the form of a laser to cut deeply and powerfully. But the most common way that we recognize the potential of light is through visibility. I mean, at its core, isn't that what it's about? Light provides visibility. Light makes it possible for us to perceive and see correctly. And it's as though Jesus is saying, there's something about you that will allow the world to perceive or see correctly. There's something about you when you are alive in Christ and his life is flowing through you that will help other people to see themselves for who they really are, to see God for who God really is, and to see the beauty of God's gift in the gospel for the powerful gift that it is. This is who you and me are made to be, people who would be willing to shine so that visibility is possible. For everybody around us in this world, shine brightly. Light is useful because it provides guidance. And don't you know there's just so many people all around us, and maybe sometimes it's us ourselves who are wondering, how do I proceed? Which direction should I go in? I think it's God's plan that believers who are following Jesus and are filled with the Spirit would bring that reflection of the light of God that would help somebody else see the way and know the direction to take. You might be the light that helps keep somebody from falling off the next cliff. 
You might be the light that keeps somebody from completely going off the rails. But if you keep that light hidden, it's done. And Jesus is saying, and that shouldn't be, right? That's what he said. The light shouldn't be hidden under a bushel. That light should be put up on a, on a stand. And Jesus is looking at you and saying, let's go. Up on this. I want to see you shine. He's paid such a great price so that we could. So don't let that light be hidden. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, it's time to shine. I mean, 2020 is a year marked by a whole lot of darkness, isn't it? It's filled with a lot of darkness because of the despair so many people are feeling right now, the confusion that so many people are wrestling with, the sense of being stressed out and in need that so many people are contending with, the feeling of, of worry and concern and frustration and anger and all of the rest. I mean, that's permeating 2020. And it's the light of God that provides the solution. And God is looking at his church, you and me, and saying, would you please step up and shine it so that people can be delivered from that darkness? It's what you're made for. It's what you have been called by God for. If you could hear it, Jesus is in a sense saying to you and me right now, tag, you're it. Let's go. There's a lot of darkness, and I've got a solution. And it's my light pouring through your life with love and power and mercy and forgiveness. So shine it bright, church. This world needs that to happen. It's what we're made for. So for a lot of us, I mean, the truth is we're here because we have put our trust in Jesus. And we know the goodness of that inner darkness being dealt with by his power. But for some of us, maybe we're, you know, just kind of participating online, or maybe we're on the patio, but we're kind of not sure where we stand with God. What God wants for you is that you would know that you are alive in Christ and forgiven of all your sin, so that you can shine his glory and light. And Jesus said it like this in John 12, 36. Jesus said, believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. That's the words of Jesus. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. Jesus is, in a sense, saying, this doesn't happen by autopilot. You just thinking you're a good person doesn't suddenly turn you into uh, the light of the world. It is by believing in the light, Jesus, the Son of God. While you have the opportunity to, that allows you to become children of the light. And so I think right now Jesus is extending his hand to somebody and saying, would you put your trust in me? Would you believe in me to forgive your sins and save your life? Because I want you to become a child of light, full of the light of the gospel of Jesus, full of the light of heaven, full of the light of the father of the everlasting lights who doesn't change. And so... What you need to do, I'm talking to you in particular, if you are one who is saying, I don't know where I stand with God, what you need to do is cross the line once and for all. And in this moment, cross the line by saying, Jesus, I believe in you. You are the light. And Jesus, I give you my life. I put my trust in you. The moment you do that and ask him to forgive your sins and save you, he 
rescues you from the dominion of darkness and transfers you into the kingdom of God where you have forgiveness of your sins. So I want to pray for somebody right now that you would experience that, that gift of salvation and that it would be a, a new beginning for you. So let's all take a moment and pray together. Would you pray with me? Uh, let's take a moment and be in God's presence. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, that you speak through your word. I thank you, God, that through your word you are calling some of us home. And so, Lord, I pray for uh, somebody who's sitting at home right now and somebody who's uh, sitting in a car right now and somebody who's sitting on a patio right now that has no idea whether they're right with you or not. And I pray, God, that right now there could be an awakening in the soul and that in this very moment uh, you would be able to give your life to Jesus and put your trust in Jesus. That's what I'm praying for. And so if that's you, if you would say, I think I need to do this, here's what you're doing. You're, you're confessing your sin, acknowledging that you, at this point, are a sinner, and you need to be forgiven, and you're asking him to forgive you. And then you're saying that you believe in him, and you're giving your life to him. And so right now, if that's you, if you would say, Jesus Christ, I want to give my life to you. I, I believe in you, Jesus. Would you forgive my sin and save me? Right now, I want you to either raise your hand if you're with me in person or if you're with me online. I want you to just type into the comments, uh, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. And right now, just make it known that once and for all, you are saying, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. Raise your hand or type it into the comments, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. And now pray with me and simply begin to pray by saying, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I turn from my sin right now. I repent. And Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me and save me. Jesus, I'm asking you to rescue me and give me new life. And just ask him, Jesus, would you be my Lord and Savior from this moment on? I believe you paid the price for my sin when you died on the cross. And Jesus, I believe you're alive. And so would you save me now and forever? And just say it to him again, Jesus, I believe in you. And all God's people say together, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's take a moment and continue to pray. When we're gathered like this, there's always the, the potential for more to happen than we could even imagine, like the scripture that Anne quoted from Ephesians 3. And so part of what we need to have a discipline of doing is making sure we linger in his presence long enough to catch whatever else he wants to do. And what helps me sometimes in moments like this is just to lift my voice and say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and move in a fresh way. Maybe you could join me and just simply say that. Holy Spirit, come and move in a fresh way. Holy Spirit, come. Maybe all together just say it. Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. I had uh, a word of knowledge just now, and that's just a sudden I don't know, mental awareness of something that is from God's heart, something very particular. And it's, uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for this because you might not want to. But uh, uh, for uh, uh, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, I think God wants to heal that. Really do. 
And so I'm, I'm asking for that. Lord, would you bring your healing touch to whoever that is that's suffering with that right now? God, I pray that you would supernaturally bring a calm uh, to every, uh, every system of motility and digestion and all the rest, God, that a reset of everything in physical bodies right now that need that touch, that there would be a healing testimony that would come. Uh, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Keep just asking, Holy Spirit, come. Just right where we're sitting at home or on the patio, just say it, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. I want to pray for somebody right now. You have a some kind of a massive tooth infection. It causes just immense pain. You're living with immense pain in your teeth in the molars and you don't even know what to do it drives you crazy i believe god wants to bring a healing touch from that pain uh, and even a healing in in those teeth i really believe that he wants to do this and if that's you and you want uh, someone to pray for you would you just raise your hand and we're going to pray for you or if you're watching online you can just type into the comments that's me i need god's touch in these teeth <laughs> and uh, right now i pray lord that your healing power would come and that relief would come. Wherever there is uh, a, a pain in, in the jaw, in the teeth, that's just insufferable, God, would you bring your relief right now in this very moment, uh, whether live in this moment or even uh, watching after the fact, God, I pray that your healing power which transcends space and time would come and bring relief and a testimony for your glory in Jesus' name. Come on, don't you believe that Jesus is the healer? Don't you believe that Jesus, when he said, in the Great Commission, heal the sick, raise the dead, preach the gospel. Don't you think we shouldn't skip those things? And so this is part of what that looks like, just taking some time to call some things out. And so once again, just pray with me. Holy Spirit, come. Demonstrate your power and your goodness for us. God, that we could sense what you alone can do. Bring your healing touch, Lord Jesus. Somebody, you came here tonight, you have a diagnosis of cancer. I believe God wants for you to receive his healing touch, and I want to make sure to pray for you. Today, I'm praying for you if you have cancer. And if that's you, you put it into the comments, just type it, that's me. I need him to heal me of cancer. Or if you're here, raise your hand right now, and we're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. I pray, Father, that you would bring your healing touch and that any tumor would be disintegrated in the mighty power of Jesus' name, and that the death sentence that has been spoken by this uh, diagnosis would be rewritten by the power and love of Jesus Christ and the shed blood of Jesus on Calvary. And so we plead the blood of Jesus for healing of cancer in Jesus' name, and we receive, God, your touch. We believe you love us enough to, to forgive all our sin and that you love us enough to pay the price for all iniquity to be wiped away, including the iniquity that goes by the name of cancer. And so we pray for this healing touch right now in Jesus' name. Church, say amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And now I want us to pray a little bit more all together. I want you to stand to your feet. I don't know about you, but COVID-19 bothers me. And I think it's a stronghold from the devil. And I think we need to take our stand against it. You need to lift your voice right now and begin to say, I stand against COVID-19 in the mighty name of Jesus. Just say it with me. I stand against COVID-19 in the mighty name of Jesus. I declare the blood of Jesus over Southern California that COVID-19 does not have the final word. Jesus does. And so we tear down the stronghold of financial ruin that has come against our community because of COVID-19. We stand against the 
the insult that has come against God's people because of COVID-19. We come against the isolation and loneliness that has come against us because of COVID-19. And we take our stand against it in the mighty name of Jesus. We declare that Jesus, you are greater than any pandemic, any pandemic of a disease or fear. And we're asking for your touch on our country. But Lord, we also stand in repentance in this moment. We repent. God, you said if we would repent, if your people who are called by your name would humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways, that you would then heal from heaven. And so we turn. We turn. You weren't waiting for other people out there to turn from their wicked ways. You're looking at your people. And so God, I repent. Maybe somebody, you join me and you say, me too. God, I repent. Maybe the first place to start is of your pride. You've been, we've been so proud. God, we repent of our pride. We repent of our pride. We repent of our animosity towards other believers. We repent of our animosity towards government leaders. Ah, ah, come on. Repent of your pride. Repent of the offense it is to the eyes of a mighty loving God. God, we repent in your eyes. We ask for your mercy covering. God, we ask for your healing to come upon our land. We pray for healing on every single human immune system. That human immune systems would change so that there's no effect of COVID-19. We prophesy and declare the case rate going down, the fatality rate going down, so much so that every decision maker will have to say the facts have changed. We can't even call this a pandemic anymore. The facts have changed. We have to release people to live the way they're designed to. Come on, church, don't stop praying. Come on, let your, let your voice be heard. Let your cry be heard. God, we need your touch on our country. We need your touch on our land. We need your touch in our society. We need more salt. We need more light shining. We need more salt purifying. We need more salt preserving. We need your salt coming in through us in the spoiling that's taking place. Jesus, we need you. Come on, let your cry be heard. Jesus, we need you. Our country needs you. Don't stop crying out. Somebody lift your hands with me. Somebody lift your hands with me. Are you too sophisticated to lift your hands to your God? God, we need you. Come on, are you too proud to just cry out to him? God, we need your touch. 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 God, this world needs your touch. Our country needs your touch. Our economy needs your touch. Our businesses need your touch. We need you, Lord. Our schools need your touch. The educators need your touch. Jesus, we're crying out to you. We need you, Lord. We praise you. Honor you, Lord. We praise you, God. Come on and worship him.